Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When you go outside for the day, you're bound to see a tree. Do you see them as sap and pollen producing troublemakers, or do you recognize the magnificence of these gigantic ecosystems? How closely do you pay attention to them? Living in the lush terrain of Middle Tennessee, we're surrounded by the green arrays that our forests provide. And we shouldn't underestimate how important those trees are to us. As we continue to make room for development, more trees are cut down and turned into wood chips. Is that a sustainable approach? Today, we're talking about the trees and shrubs of Nashville and Middle Tennessee to learn more about them and how we can protect these majestic plants. I'd like to introduce our first guest, arborist Adrian Wagner. Adrian, thanks for being here and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you with us. Okay, so, you know, we know all too well that the weather in Middle Tennessee can be extreme and may cause great damage to trees and shrubs. I mean, this past weekend was the latest example. It wasn't just Taylor Swift fans that got whipped around by the wind and hit by those heavy rains. Tell me, (laughs) what type of damage can weather like that do to our trees? Well, particularly, I I saw just yesterday, uh, you know, on the tail end of this storm, two trees that they're their their crowns their canopies had largely been crushed by the weight of this torrential rain that that uh we got um you know just just sunday night so i think people sort of tend to underestimate the power of of rain but you know it doesn't take much to really consider the idea of thousands and thousands of gallons especially in such a short time as we saw on sunday Mm -hmm falling from the sky and really causing severe destruction. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not the only one I've spoken to colleagues and, you know, these, these weather events, uh, as, as you hinted at, are, are just, uh, increasing in frequency and, uh, also happening out of season. And, and that's, you know, that's the real core of the, the issue. Well, tell me what types of trees are best equipped to withstand you know, this type of extreme weather? Well, so, I mean, ideally, uh, so kind of a brief history of trees. I'm going to keep it super brief. Okay. But uh, deciduous trees, uh, trees that lose their leaves, um, are, are designed to lose their leaves in part to withstand winter storms. That's, that's why they've evolved that uh, evolutionary advantage over, uh, conifers. Um, you know, you may be familiar with the pine or the, uh, the juniper, um, or the spruce that keep their needles, uh, but have to deal, deal with the snow. There's advantages and disadvantages to both of those things, but, uh, broadleaf trees, deciduous trees are well-equipped to, stand up to winter storms because they don't they don't have leaves and they could be blown around the wind blows right through them the snow doesn't sit on their leaves as it does on conifers Mm -hmm. however uh if we run into an unseasonably um 
powerful storm as we did on Sunday, when the trees, the deciduous trees have already leafed out, then we have, you know, some real, real danger. And the, the real danger, not necessarily the rain, but is, is another wind event happening now that the trees have leafed out. Now, question, what about the shrubs? I know they're a lot smaller than trees, but how does the extreme weather affect those? Yeah, well, you know, I just, um, I'm, I'm in the field right now, and I was actually just on a job where we were removing nothing but uh, small dead trees and shrubs uh, arborvitaes and Japanese cedars, and they, they over over the long term have just been really stressed out the last few years, uh, and it all sort of reached ahead this winter when we hit these record low temperatures, uh, and you know these constant stressors are what has led to this incident um, that. You know, we sort of have a tendency to look at it as like an isolated incident. Oh, well, the cold killed all these uh, skip laurel or all these arborvitaes or all these Leland cypresses or all these Japanese cedars. But it wasn't one event. It was many events leading up to this. It was the drought last summer. It was uh, the, the cold the summer before that, the drought the summer before that. And so we're kind of at the tip of something that we don't really know the extent of yet. You know, climate change is a lot messier than I think people really anticipated. You know, it's not just the world warming and plants just dying off because they're not getting enough, enough water, or they're getting cooked or whatever. It's these weather events. It's getting too cold. You know, it's just a, a range of uh, negative outcomes and, and uh, aspects. You know, so... Maybe, maybe, you know, things are looking pretty rough for people and their shrubs and trees right now. Will they be able to bounce back? Um, well, you know, it kind of depends on what the tree or shrub is. Uh, we all, I think by now, are familiar with the idea that native trees and shrubs are better to plant for a lot of reasons. Um, one of them is resiliency. And that's... But that's what you're going to find all over Tennessee, that the uh, the native shrubs and trees are going to perform better 10 to 1 than the cultivated varieties from other parts of the world where they're out of their extremely specialized environment. Mm. Uh, so, we you know, we, we really have an opportunity here to understand that better in a kind of visceral way that people... Uh, that your everyday consumer can can sort of wrap their head around. Well, tell me and this. That's, tell me this real quick. Oh, go ahead. What are some of the signs that a shrub or tree is really attempting to bounce back and regenerate? Yeah, well, I, I think also that is probably pretty clear. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, if, if you're whatever, your Japanese cedar is... Um, Japanese cedar is not a great example because they they rarely um, do what's called back budding, which which is where they sort of compartmentalize the dead bits and and start to grow start to grow from what they have left living. But that's what you'll see in you know 
something that is trying to bounce back, perhaps a skip laurel, uh, you'll see the new growth at the uh, at the base of the tree. Um, I've talked to people in the landscaping community and the horticulture community, and there's uh, the opinion that right now is kind of just wait and see. But I have to say, for those heavily damaged uh, shrub rows and and rows of trees it's highly unlikely that they'll uh that they'll recover you know i can't diagnose every tree or shrub yeah uh, from this interview but i've seen a lot of them and a lot of them are are not going to make it i mean you know essentially what happened here is it got so cold that the cells in the bodies of these things burst and so now they have all these damaged cells um, and they're not they're not useful. Uh, the tree is trying to do its best. It, but like I said, the, the damage is so severe. Uh, the outcomes are really bad. And it's mm-hmm. and it's just part of a death spiral. You know, uh, yeah. I know a lot of people are out there hoping and waiting and they're really praying that their trees and shrubs will be able to bounce back. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll take a deeper and taller look at the trees in our region. Did you lose any trees or shrubs to the freeze? Are you looking to plant something new this season? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When I moved here from New Mexico and first drove into Middle Tennessee, it looked like one giant forest to me. Trees everywhere. Before the break, we heard about how native trees and shrubs are able to better withstand extreme weather. So, how important is it to have a diverse group of trees in our forests, parks, or yards? And what can planting more trees in neighborhoods that are of benefit to them for those people in the communities? My next guests are here to talk about it. Richard Hitt is the president of the Middle Tennessee Wild Ones, and Ingrid Campbell is a longtime tree advocate and Root Nashville plant captain. Richard, Ingrid, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, you know, when some people talk and or maybe over look at a tree, they may just not really recognize how much life that that tree supports. It's more than just birds and squirrels. Richard, how important is it to have a diverse array of trees for the wildlife in the region? Well, thank thank you for inviting me to be here. It's absolutely crucial that we have the presence of these native trees to help support biodiversity primarily through supporting uh, insect, being an insect host uh, for caterpillars, for example. And um, the native trees do such a more comprehensive job of that than the non-native trees. Many non-native trees don't support uh, insects in our community as it is, but the native trees co-evolved with the insects and there are many connections between those groups. What are some of the trees that we must have in the region? Um, Simply put, oaks. Uh, Oaks support over 400 species of native uh, caterpillar and moth, uh, butterfly and moth caterpillars. 
And that's just an amazing number. So across the entire genus of oaks, and we have 23 species of oaks here in Tennessee, um, they do more for biodiversity than almost any other plant group. Mm. Now, you know, with the increased development, some people are taking it upon themselves to plant more trees and make the city greener. Ingrid, you are a tree advocate. Why do you do it? I do. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show today. My belief, my core belief that I was raised with is we had nature as part of our regular living um, experience. And in that, we learned, I learned so many things. I learned about, you know, what, it, what the trees give, how to enjoy them, how to take care of them. And what they give back to me is a, a peace of mind, uh, that tranquility, a moment to kind of reassess things and kind of become grounded again. So I would like to share this with so many people in the community. Sometimes you don't know what's going on in your life, and maybe uh, this is a way for you to actually benefit from what you have in your mere backyard. You know, I feel it's safe to assume that you have trees in your backyard. What kind of trees do you have? Well, right now I, ha I have a pine. It's very old, actually. I think it's over 100 years old. Wow. And the pine, when I first purchased the house, the pine and I had a nice conversation because I was looking at this towering pine and it says, if you come down, you're going to destroy the house. So we had a conversation and uh, no problems. No problems. No problems so far. Everything is all good. Okay, well, t well t I love that. Tell me, you know, what are the benefits of having a healthy tree in your yard? Oh, yes. Well, when you have healthy trees, it gives you that uh, it can be like a... Air conditioning, it offers that type of shade. It also offers you the uh, just kind of the whispering of the leaves and the pines. That's another way of audio relief mm. or audio tranquility that it offers. It offers a way for for the um, nature, the squirrels, which love to play on this tree, or other type of animals, a place to live, reside. And I respect that. Um, but I also look for what else can you. What else we can offer in the community? So there's a diversity of trees that we have, as well as shrubs, flowering shrubs for the insects, especially our bees, mm -hmm. um, that are pollinators. Uh, we would like to incorporate that into the neighborhood as well. Now, Richard, if someone is looking to plant a new tree, what kind of tree would you recommend? Well, it depends. Uh, you need to put the right tree in the right place. So you need to take into consideration if it's uh, kind of wet or dry soil, full sun, part shade. But for each situation, there is a collection of native trees that would uh, would, would fill that void. But um, the oak trees can be, get large, but there are some dwarf oak trees that uh, can be planted that go to 15 or 20 feet tall and just 10 feet wide. So even small yards can support certain dwarf oaks. Mm. But the um, Beyond the oaks, uh, the cherry trees are very supportive of biodiversity. The willow trees, uh, maple trees, uh, hickory trees. A lot of our native uh, trees are very supportive of biodiversity in terms of the number of caterpillar species they host. All the ones I just mentioned host over 200 different species of caterpillar. And caterpillars serve as the primary food for uh, baby birds, uh, baby songbirds. And it's really, they get the food web uh, in a good foundation there. And it goes up from there to all the other levels. I wonder, you know, how folks can ensure that saplings grow up healthy. Ingrid, what's, what's the best method? 
for for saplings, actually, what you already alluded to is that make sure that the environment is healthy for the, the, the tree to thrive. You want to make sure the soil is, you know, it drains well from the water. You want to actually have it, um, you know, make sure you actually fertilize it. Uh, just take care of it because saplings are susceptible to not only just nature, but you get also uh, animals and other things that can easily destroy sapling. Mm. Um, but you want to just keep an eye on it and make sure you have a balance of uh, the soil, uh, the fertilizing, and um, just kind of as it grows up, just kind of make sure that uh, you take care of the bark and it has, it's it's strong in strength. Keep a nice watchful eye. Nice watchful eye. Yes. If, you, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the native trees and shrubs in our neighborhoods and region with Ingrid Campbell and Richard Hitt. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, arborist Adrian Wagner is still with us. Now, you know, the trees are being cut down to make way for new houses and apartments. A lot of the time, they're being sent to the wood chipper. Adrian, what do you think of this practice? Yeah, well, as a as a freelance arborist, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, a number of companies in Nashville, uh, in other states, in the South, uh, and uh, you know, frankly, I, I've just really been disturbed by the wasteful uh, kind of practice of not only not only chipping trees. Uh, because there is some, you know, sustainability around that. I mean, you know, mulch is a good use for that. Uh, you know, biochar is a good use for that. And that's where a lot of that goes. Um, but the, um, the logs really is, is the thing that I see, you know, it's this really highly sought after wood in a lot of cases uh, black walnut red oak uh ash obviously i mean all of those have to come down um and it's just it just goes you know to the industrial uh industrial chipper and uh becomes mulch and you know when you think about it deciduous trees really make and and well pines frankly uh, trees in general really make their own mulch uh mm-hmm. at which we which we clear out and then we replace with, with mulch we'll, we'll, we'll from tell, the trees that we well, tell me this yard. that does seem a little bit backward now to hear you hear you state it out loud but what can be done to make better use of fallen trees well I, you know i'd really i really want to call out to big companies uh that have the ability to sort of make their supply chains more flexible uh, and work with the tree companies in Nashville to do something good with this, with this lumber, uh, because it's just, you know, it's one of a kind stuff. Uh, And it's also here, it's already here, you know, it doesn't have to be shipped in from, uh, you know, from the Northern United States or Canada. Uh, So, I mean, there's, I just I know that there's a way to and I know that there's smart people here and I know that it'll get done. And I would just love to see that happen. Mm. Now, Richard, tell me, what are we losing when we cut down these trees for more housing and apartments? Um, For the trees uh, supply lots of ecosystem services, whether they're native or not. They uh, retain water during rain. Uh, They sequester carbon. 
uh, they exchange oxygen. So trees are a wonderful component in the ecosystem. The advantage that uh, native trees has is that they also support biodiversity. And we are in a kind of biodiversity crisis now where it is decreasing at an alarming rate. In terms of a fallen tree, um, just salvage, you know, don't, don't, you can, I, actually what I do is I, if, if I have a limb that comes down, I put it in my yard and just let it uh, slowly become soil in that part of the yard if it's a part uh, where I can do that. If it's on the lawn part, then I just move it over into the garden area and let it uh, recycle. Mm. Now, Ingrid, tell me, you you are a plant captain with Root Nashville. Right. What is that? Well, as a plant captain for Root Nashville, which has been, this is like going on year three. Okay. Um, it's part of, we We are uh, working with Cumberland River Compact. Um, Root Nashville is, has a target of getting 500,000 trees planted by 2050. And in doing that, we they reach out to the community. So they supply these trees, which are fairly grown uh trees and not just your saplings, which we've discussed earlier, but actually more mature trees that you will benefit from seeing flowering from the next season. And so we offer them free to the community neighborhoods, uh, nonprofit organizations, try to work with other uh, schools and um, and actually scouting out sites, sites, uh, sites now. Um, but we're trying to bring the trees back into the community because mm. of these this massive development where lands are being tree cut. We in our my neighborhood personally with McFerrin, we have had coyotes come down the street. Why? Because their nature habitat has been removed. We have deer come down the street. Mm-hmm. Why? Because their nature natural habitat has been removed. But um, also, we just try to make people knowledgeable how to take care of the tree. What kind of difference do you see in that work? What kind of difference do you see it making for the community? Uh, I see people, first of the community, is it becomes united. Mm. And you're helping your neighbor plant that tree. And then you actually, some of the trees, you can have stories go with it. Why are you planting this tree? Well, the one we had before we lost in the tornado of 2010 or 2020. And we're replacing it because it was grandma where she sat. Mm-hmm. So you you're building that that cohesiveness with the community, and you actually have a story that or a legacy that continues. Mm-hmm. And in, this is the beauty of having the tree. Not only what the tree offers, what we just see. Okay, yes, it gives us shade, it gives a home for the birds, but there's other things that are tangible as well. Mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, a tree once it dies. Well, you can use a tree for composting. So now we have we're going from flowery trees. We have. Uh, actually a plant, we can actually do gardens and we can do other things. And for trees to be reused, um, Goodwood, which is in part of our community as well over there, I have tried to work with them and they uh, listen and we try to obtain some of these older trees that have been cut down and mm-hmm. use them. I mean, you know, it has to go through a firing and kiln stage, but that's now, what we try to do. You mentioned you spoke about uh, older trees. Now, in yes. the forest, there are very, very old trees. They're yes. commonly known as mother trees yes. because of their importance to the wildlife around them. A- Adrian, can you briefly like explain to us the role that mother trees play in the ecosystem? Well, uh, yeah, was it, that one was for me, right? Adrian, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. I'm, I'm Like I said, I'm on site here. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's it's just so 
so important. Uh, I, I think that we're, we're finding um, mother trees really nurture their young, uh, which is something that we previously have only attributed to uh, animals and humans, you know, and we're, we're realizing uh, through a lot of really good research that trees are a lot more like animals and humans than we initially thought. A really good uh, way to um, sort of see that in action is the Green Planet series. Uh, they talk a little bit about mother trees nurturing their young. But what's really cool about it is they 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 take these uh, time lapses and sort of speed up the movements of plants and then put them together in such a way that you see them acting as if they're, uh, you know, at, at, at the speed of an animal or human. And it, it's clear uh, that they have agency. Uh, it's 100 percent clear that they are they have things that they're trying to do. And they're trying various different tactics to do them in a concerted way. And, and so that's, that's the whole relevance of the, the mother tree um, that, you know, they can recognize their young. They can share resources with their young. Uh, you know, the other side of that is it takes a very specific kind of environment to foster that relationship. Forests and especially urban forests are extremely delicate places. And those uh, underground fungal networks that connect those trees can be damaged uh, along with the root systems um, mm -hmm. by heavy machinery, you know, and, and just uh, lack of care. And that's really the, the kind of biggest danger to uh, that relationship that I, that I see. I want to thank my guests, Adrian Wagner, the hardest working arborist in Nashville, and Richard oh, Hitt, so nice. the president of the Middle Tennessee Wild Ones. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Ingrid Campbell will stick with us through the break. Thank you. Thanks. When we come back, we'll look at the benefits of trees beyond the material effects of wood and lumber. And we'll start by taking you on a guided forest walk. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Think back to a time when you were surrounded by trees. Maybe it was a summer barbecue in the park under the shade of an oak, or on a hike with ferns, moss, and trees on all sides. The air is fresh, you hear the wind whoosh through the leaves, and you might even smell blossoming flowers or that unmistakable pine scent. How do you feel? Relaxed? Soaking it all in? Maybe you've been forest bathing and didn't know it. Now, here in Nashville, you can have a guided forest bathing experience. We sent our producer, Magnolia McKay, out to do just that. It's early Friday morning. I meet Georgia Bromehead at Shelby Park. She's a certified guide with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. We walk from the parking lot past the Nature Center on a paved trail. At 7 a.m., there aren't many other people out. A few cyclists, some people walking dogs. But there are tall trees full of green leaves, 
that provide home for the birds we hear and cover for white-tailed deer. We're surrounded by nature, but we can hear car engines and other reminders that we're still in the city. When I started this in 2019, I would have to say, we're not going to wear swimsuits in the woods. This isn't actual bathing. We're both dressed head to toe on this brisk morning. The idea of forest bathing is to take nature in with all of our senses. She prepares me by saying it's sometimes challenging to slow down. And I always tell people that they may feel bored, and that's fine. <laughs> uh, but by the end of it, I think most people enjoy the experience of taking some time out um, and being in time in a different way than we usually are. We veer from the paved path down a narrow dirt trail, thick with trees. As a guide, she keeps the time and gives me little assignments, like using all my senses to explore the environment. Not just my surroundings, but also myself. Noticing the weight of your body, noticing what it's like to have feet, noticing how your skin feels inside your clothes, noticing your skin that's touching the air. What's the temperature and the texture of the air here today? Then she gives me my first assignment. It's called What's in Motion. And your only mission, should you choose to accept it, is to notice what's moving here. My sneakers squeak on the dirt path as I look for motion. It's a still day, not much wind, so this task is harder than you might expect. Up in this tree, there's a little, a little dead leaf hanging on, and it's moving. Oh, and there was an insect moving. After five minutes, Georgia calls me back to ask what I noticed. I tell her about the dead leaf and the insects and how I heard the birds but couldn't see them. It's cool that you said that because I was having the same feeling of wanting to look into the dense brush and I saw a cardinal way back up in there. Like, oh my goodness, what are you doing in there? We do this several times. Georgia gives me missions and we report back to each other. This mushroom is really fuzzy on the back side. Feeling playful. I touched some of those pokey leaves there. I just threw one of those really spiky brown little seed balls. Some moss almost made me cry. And once I throw one, I just want to throw more things. I think I like moss better than a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We end the forest therapy walk with a tea ceremony. Georgia has spread a little blanket out in the clearing. We drink dandelion tea, and she asks me for the final time what I'm noticing from our forest therapy walk. I think I feel a mixture of gratitude and sadness. Sad that, as a society, we're not connected to nature enough. That I don't set aside more time for things like this. But I'm really grateful for forest bathing and people like Georgia who do this work because they believe in it. I really think one by one it can change the world. Georgia Bromehead, certified guide with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, 
joins me now. Georgia, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. It's so fun to be here. And I loved hearing that recording. You know, that tour through Shelby Park sounded wonderful. But, you know, I'm curious, is there science to support this as a beneficial practice? There is, actually. It's a research-based practice. um, And I can tell you a little bit about that if you like. Please. Back in the 80s, um, of course, we've been forest bathing as humans for eons. We we evolved amongst the trees. Uh, but in the 80s in Japan, they began studying the benefits of time spent in nature in this way of taking in the atmosphere through all of our senses. And they have found that physiological effects include blood pressure reducing, cortisol reducing, which is your fight or flight hormone. Um, and an increase in immune system activity even after you leave the natural environment. Mm. Yeah, and then on in time, past the 80s, scientists began studying psychological benefits and found many, and they're still finding them. It's fascinating. Um, Depression and anxiety reduce, creativity increases, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It sounds very beautiful. You know, part of, part of the forest walks, they help the mind deeply. Can you tell us what attention restoration theory is? Yes, that's one of my favorite studies that I've read along the way. Um, so scientists Stephen and Ann Kaplan have coined this term attention restoration. And their idea is that the more time we spend in soft fascination, the more capacity our brain has for refreshing or replenishing, therefore more capacity for attention. And soft fascination is the name they give to that headspace that you find yourself in when you're watching a leaf blow in the wind or watching a waterfall or a ripple on a pond. That is opposed to hard fascination, which is something like Netflix or even reading, Mm. which most of us use to relax. And we think that's relaxing and it is in a way, but we're still processing data. So soft fascination uh, is that kind of liminal headspace that you might remember from being a kid where Mm. you kind of just stared and wandered around. Um, And we don't spend a lot of time there. So I'm really, really passionate and interested in how making more capacity for attention through more time and soft fascination in nature um, will come into play with this huge uptick in ADHD diagnoses and just our general stress and overload as a society. Now, plant captain Ingrid Campbell from Root Nashville is still with us. You know, early in the show, you talked about your relationship, the conversation you had with the great pine tree yes. in your yard. <laughs> yes. How is that relationship today? Uh, the pine tree and I are really, really good friends. Um, I've become part of the pine tree's family. So storms come. I could just look at the way that the trees swaying and didn't know what direction to, or or if there's a lot of needles dropped, maybe there's something else going on, especially when we had that terrible freeze uh, where we had 7, seven and 12 degree uh, temperatures for the day. Um, you know, things that 
the pine tree kind of makes me aware of. And then also it supports my other trees. I got a June magnolia in the yard. I had some Rosa Sharon's there. Um, now I have some blooming rose bushes as well. So these shrubs are all part of the network for the pine tree. You know, I want to hear from both of you. Like for folks who don't live near a forest, how can they commune with nature in their own yards? Georgia? Yes, I I love that question because I want to emphasize that we I, I live in East Nashville, so I don't live in the nature reserve by any means. Um, I want to encourage people that you can live in a city and still have a connection with natural beings throughout the day. So on my walks, I talk about, you know, Kroger parking lot has some trees. If you just glance over, you can notice the shape of the leaves or how they move in the wind. Maybe the next time you walk from your house to your car, you sort of glance over and notice the texture and the color of the grass or even a house plant. Um, a lot of studies have have focused on um, folks in the hospital and who aren't even able to go outside, but them looking even out a window or even at a video of a natural environment can give health benefits. And you, the more often you do that, I think, in my experience, the, the quicker and easier it is to get into that connective space where you really feel a part of nature um, and you notice its details pretty quickly. So it's all around. It is absolutely all around for us. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank my guests, Georgia Bromehead, guide with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, and Ingrid Campbell, a Root Nashville neighborhood plant captain. Thank you both for being with us today, and thank you for helping us to understand our connection to trees. Thank you. Thanks to you at home for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Our show has only been possible because of your support. We're in the midst of our Sprint Fund Drive, and we need you to step up and make your donation now at thisisnashville.org. While you're there, you can listen back to all of our episodes. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Farouche. Our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is a well-rested Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Maribyn Knight and Joe Brichetto. Listen back at This Is Nashville or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Kaliole Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.